You're listening to the Super Talk podcast, produced by the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, shaping profit to member super. Hello and welcome to the Super Talk podcast. This week we're continuing our discussion from last week on cash assets. Back with us for this episode are Daniel Gerrard, Senior Strategist at State Street Global Markets, and Raf Chowdhury, Australian Head of Investment Strategy and Research for State Street Global Advisors. So far, we have covered cash in terms of short and long-term impacts, as well as the macroeconomic factors that are influencing investors at the moment. So today, we're getting into liquidity and solvency concerns that are dominating market behaviour. Dan, to get us started, what are your thoughts on liquidity and the current environment? Thanks, Terrell. Liquidity has been a uh, quite a buzzword in, in financial markets that we're hearing quite a bit these days. And when we hear liquidity, we think about uh, monetary policy and we think about these expansive policy, policies that central banks around the world are implementing. And we think about the, uh, the, the overall wheels of finance and are they being greased. But when we think about uh, liquidity, liquidity is really a catch-all for many things. But what we're talking about here is this interplay between the supply and demand of liquid capital, namely cash. Now, a large part of the job of a super fund as the trustee uh, of members' assets is to understand liquidity needs. So when a fund makes investment decisions, they do so with the best understanding they can of their future liabilities, uh, of withdrawals, timing, inflation, ability to make changes opportunistically to managers, to asset classes, um, you know, really to, to investments with much longer term timeframes. Uh, the investment process takes all of this into consideration. They had no real way of anticipating that the liquidity demand might actually mean rule changes like, like early release in, a, in an extraordinary situation like the one we find ourselves in now with a pandemic. So the, the dynamics of liquidity supply and demand, they echo through financial systems quite rapidly. And they highlight both short-term stress preparedness um, from, you know, from the system itself, as well as this long-term structural changes that we're seeing to financial markets, to, to financial management, and to investing uh, based on an environment that has been unfolding for, for many years. And Raf, what are your thoughts on liquidity implications in Australia? What's, what's the domestic side doing? It's, it's been interesting this year, especially um, from the Australian perspective. Um, I think when we think about um, kind of this year and kind of the events that have taken place, a lot of super funds were probably caught a little bit off guard by the government's kind of release of early super and, and allowing early access. Um, I think we've got to go back, though, and think about, you know, liquidity is obviously a critical component for a lot of these super funds to consider. Um, and we've been seeing this trend of, um, of a lot of industry funds and super funds moving towards private assets where you know they're slightly they're, they're less liquid um, but prior to the crisis the liquidity was probably less of a concern they were very conscious of it um, but it was less of a concern because they were also cash flow positive um, and so they were able to kind of manage their liquidity because of those cash flows um, now the, the government action around um, allowing early release of super obviously flipped that on its head and, and actually caused um, quite a lot of concern for a lot of super funds and it became um, quite a hot topic at the time. Um, I guess in part they were quite fortuitous in the fact that they had um, been allocating uh, to cash in lieu of um, in lieu of two private assets and so they had had cash on the sidelines um, dry powder as, as we say 
waiting to be deployed, which they could then reuse to kind of maybe try and help fund some of those those withdrawals that they were seeing. And then there was a second benefit for them holding that amount of cash as well, which was that when they were going through the, the big drawdown, um, if you remember, it was just before the end of March, um, they, were, they were also coming up to, well, typically most of them were coming up to a quarterly rebalancing point. And what that actually meant was that a lot of them were in a situation where they were facing these withdrawals from uh, from their clients, but not wanting to have to sell down assets at depressed prices. So that cash that was on the sidelines was actually quite fortuitous in that sense that it allowed them the ability to be able to kind of maybe try and manage through that that kind of period. Um, and thankfully, markets did rebound for them after that. So that was, that was actually kind of additionally beneficial. But it did create a lot of focus on on the liquidity of the super funds um, and put a bit of a spotlight onto this move that we've been seeing towards private assets and private markets. I think one of the things that's really highlighted is that there's a, there's a broad attraction to private markets, um, especially kind of given the forward-looking environment for, for listed markets and public markets. Um, as, as we know, this trend's been going on for quite a while where equity markets returns are expected to decline. Uh, going forward, we expect that to continue. So, you know, there's this search for yield or your return that has led investors to private markets, and and there's good reasons for that. Part part of it is that you know then private markets aren't driven by risk sentiment. That illiquidity means that they're not pricing so frequently, which means they're not as kind of driven by um, what's going on in and around the market. It's much more valuation driven. The other thing that we find is that they also provide that illiquidity premium um, and lower price volatility, which is actually very beneficial from a super fund perspective. Um, but like I said, they're not suitable for all investors. Um, so. Investors really need to consider what they're um, what they're getting from a risk perspective when they when they're moving into these illiquid alts, and what it means from them. And I think the the recent bout of uh, market volatility as a result of COVID and the release of early supers really highlighted that for a lot of kind of um, pension investors. You know, a lot of them were trying to access their super, and you know, I think this has really highlighted thinking about what your super is invested in. And so, Dan, what are you seeing in terms of risks and opportunities to assets? In the current environment, yeah, great question. I think that um, you know we really have to keep in mind um, that that we live in this interconnected global financial world where decisions on on one side impact realities on the other. And um, to, to to kind of continue on to to some of the, the the liquidity issues that Raf was talking about, you know, I I mentioned before that this. Let's say that the dynamics of liquidity, supply, and demand—they they echo through our our financial system. So, you know, when when we saw this this drawdown, um, let's you know, the financial markets sold off in uh, the middle of March into the end of March. That was you know a classic liquidity crisis where um, there were there were just not enough. Um, bids for assets and lots of offers, and uh, there was th- this sort of lack of uh, li- liquidity, or, or this, um, you know, there was a, a mismatch of liquidity in the system where there was longer duration assets and shorter duration needs. And um, you know what what we uh, what we saw here is that the central banks and monetary authorities across the board. They they jumped in because they knew how to deal with that situation very well. They they came in they they came in with the uh, the memory the very near term memory of the financial crisis overall, and they responded to that potential liquidity crisis 
financial crisis by um, you know the the Federal Reserve uh, in the United States put up swap lines to help foreign governments with dollar demand. Uh, the RBA put up a term funding facility to help banks to ensure there was grease in the wheels. Uh, there was you know all of these programs that were put out to try to stop this liquidity crisis from spilling over too much or in continuing into the asset prices and and the holdings for super funds and their and their members. And it worked. It worked. It backstopped it. And um, in, in a way, this is uh, it really showed a uh, this coordinated effort from the overall financial system uh, was was prepared for something like this time. Now, uh, in some ways, it uh, we haven't solved the crisis, though, because uh, there are other liquidity draws or, or stresses on liquidity, like personal income, business income. Uh, these are there are businesses here who are, who are very stressed, potentially permanently impaired because of this crisis. So when cash flow stops, this illiquidity turns into potential insolvency, and that is true both in this sort of main street world that affects everyday people as well as to companies. So of course, these distressed assets they have a very human side to them. We should never ignore that. But the role of finance here. Is, is funding distressed assets as well and finding opportunities and uh, investing in those where there can be a, uh, the belief that we can, that capital can turn around a picture and that really a, a, a fixing of the liquidity crisis can prevent a turning of liquidity into an insolvency crisis. Now, um, Private market funds create financial and operational engineering opportunities to help invest where yields are are low elsewhere and valuations are high. Um, you know, investing in in securitized distressed assets has has definitely picked up in popularity, but this definitely ties back into the liquidity issue as well. Um, you know, funds, uh, super funds, and, and managers they might get a sense that uh, there is protection when investing in riskier assets because those assets are collateralized, but they also probably feel this way until they have to actually go through a, a bankruptcy, a filing, um, you know, and, and, and go through a workout. And then when that cash is tied up in a in, in a proceeding with no return for potentially years, um, that that question of liquidity comes back in in different ways, which is what I meant. It knocks on into the entire system. So low yields, high valuations, and the search for opportunity in these times. They they are they are made even tougher in this COVID world, and you know they create this need for um, you know in, in an alternative view and in, in alternative investment overall. But that's a, that's certainly a subject I think that we we want to keep exploring here. Jan, Brad, thank you very much for both of your time and insights. Uh, in, in one word, how would you describe your outlook on cash assets over the next sort of three to five years? So if I think about one word, I think I'd have to go with uh, tactical. I think that's the role that cash can play. Dan? Yeah, tough one. If I had to think of one word, I would say uh, opportunity. There will be uh, plenty of opportunity for cash to be deployed in the intermediate horizon. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much. Thanks, Tyra. And that's all for this edition of the Super Talk podcast. Until next time, bye for now.